Hi, this is uh, Stephen Fisher and John Sutton, and uh, we're back. Uh, we've we've been on a bit of a hiatus, uh, but John and I are back. Uh, we are here to entertain you, folks. Our thirty plus listeners in Germany. I think um, they're still around. <laughs> I think they're still around, dude. I think all it's going to take is one plug, and all of a sudden they're going to come flocking back, and five, it'll be great. Five months. Five months. Yeah, I know. It's been. Has it been? Hasn't been five months, has it? Right after Thanksgiving. Yeah, it has been five months. Well, we're back. That's all that matters. We are back. We're back for good. Um, we're going to continue to... <laughs> John crossing his fingers. Um, I, I I know that I've missed this. I, I, I can't say the same for John. I would assume that he does miss this. So, um, but The drinks. The drink. That's all you missed was the drinks, not the conversations or anything? Of course not. Of yeah. Course. <laughs> um, so, I mean, we'll keep the same format. Uh, no reason to change that. I think the only thing that's changing is John probably hasn't written anything in five months. So we're probably going to nope. just let that let that sit. And with his life, the way that things are kind of at, um, it seems like it's probably just, you know, he'll get back to it. So, um, yeah, maybe. Do you want to do you want to give an update on like how that how that like where you left off at? Well, there's nothing to update. No. All right. Fair. I haven't. I haven't written. <laughs> last time we is, discussed it was the last time I wrote. <clears throat> is the idea still there? Yeah, like, it is just, still there. Okay, cool. So just no time to between gym and family life and all that other stuff, kind of. No. Take no family on. life. Um, well, I guess but you have family problems. Let's put it that way. You family have problems, and I guess yeah. Um, I don't know if I should bring this up. Uh, but, you know, we discussed my problems before in a previous episode, and I guess an update there is I'm seeing somebody, so. Yeah, yeah. You, so. you, you still seeing the same person? I am still seeing the same person, yeah, yeah. Uh, there are some trying times with that, but uh, this is not <laughs> not the time to air those no, grievances. No, that's, so. no, that's, um, that's enough, but I'm, I'm, I'm in a better place, so. What when you say you're in a better place? What do you mean, like mentally, physically, spiritually, like all, all of the above? All of the above. Okay. Cool. I am. Uh, I I uh, swap duties with somebody at, at church, but I teach Sunday school now. So. Okay. Like I said, it's between me and another guy, so I'm not teaching every Sunday, but I'm teaching in Sunday school. Just. I mean, they reporting. they trust you to teach these little kids, these impressionable. Youth. No, 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 no. It's the, I have. Mostly college students, I'd say. Like, but that's like I basically have the adult singles. Okay, is who is who I teach. No, I don't teach kids. I teach adults. Uh, <laughs> Still, these impressionable youths, these these next leaders in the church, and you, all and right, you are you teaching them. snappers. Yeah, that's, that's exactly. <laughs> John pulls out his ruler and smacks him for writing left-handed. That's the work of the devil. Damn it, the work of the devil. I'm left-handed. Oh yeah, well. I said enough. <laughs> I still mean it. Um, I'm, I, I mean, the same way for me. Like, I'm still doing my... I still help do worship at uh, at my church, play bass. Um, play bass, okay. Not play bass well, but, you know, same stuff. So, But it feels... You got to admit, it feels good to, like, serve. You know, it feels good to be part of a church and be part of a church community. It does. I am uh, doing some community stuff, uh... This weekend, this Saturday, 
that'll that'll be a, a good experience. I think That's we're, great. I think we're helping fix the roof. <laughs> oh, sweet. Okay. That's good. A little community outreach. Um, does that like when you, when you say you're helping to fix a roof? Like, are you you like going to somebody's house and? I believe so. I, I don't fully know the details. I've only I signed up without knowing. Um, but no, it's a. They do it. I'd say every couple of months they do some kind of community outreach thing, and it, it's usually some kind of fixing or repairing, or maybe doing some landscaping work for an, an old person that you know. It's, it's something to that effect, and I think is it is it usually just one person in the neighborhood, or is there a group of you that go to different houses? To, to be honest, this is my first time going. Um, oh, okay, cool. I was uh, otherwise engaged the last time, and I, I did feel bad about it. I have helped before, and I don't think it was this. I think it was just hey, there's somebody in the neighborhood that needs help, so we a bunch of guys went and helped, and it was just one person, one house. But that wasn't like what this is. This is organized. This is organized from the church down so that's really cool it wasn't just a bunch of guys going over to help um okay yeah i mean that's awesome that's that's good that's good stuff man because uh uh it's should it's it's what we should be doing it's it's not it's not that we're saved through works but you know we should be showing that kind of stuff so that's really cool that you're able to do that so sweet really what i'm kind of like ah this saturday's like my one day to sleep in and i've blowing it off but really what was i going to do with my saturday and i have to think i have to think about it like that like well yeah now i i'm not going to regret this weekend like oh man i never should have volunteered for it even if i if if you fall off a injury you might (laughs) i'm not even sure that if that were the case i don't know okay all right yeah i mean i i get that like i it's it's been it's the same way for me. Like every year I'm going to um, Mexico or the Philippines for some sort of missions trip. And it's never like I'm going there for vacation. It's going there to work and we're not staying in the most luxurious accommodations and we're not drinking and we're not, you know, there's nothing that we're really, but that it's, comes, it's like, I never regret going. It's just always the damn man. Good. Go that to Mexico. Comes later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go to Mexico and drink on the beach and this would be so much better. Mm, that's all right. No, um, no, 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 no. <laughs> that's just human nature, man. That's our human nature. Um, well, cool. Well, uh, so we're doing, we're, we are, um, I guess with the same format, we should go ahead and talk about what we are currently drinking. Uh, John, do you want to go first? I am nothing, uh, too fancy. I'm drinking my bikini martinis again. So, because it's been a long, long time since. What goes in those again? Uh, and I, you know, occasionally, you know, when we kind of started this idea, it was like the idea, I'm going to have like a different cocktail every time and go yeah. over it. And it's not that I still won't ever bring in new cocktails to the thing, but that gets expensive and I don't want to have, a you know, a three-mile-long liquor cabinet or anything like that. So, uh, so Plus, yeah, you're not really living in an area that... You're not living in... Yeah, my current living situation, I don't have my bar and all that stuff, but uh, but these are simple makes. So essentially, a bikini martini is a unfrozen pina colada. That's exactly what it tastes like. It tastes like pina colada. So it's pineapple juice, coconut rum, and vodka. But then after you shake it and pour it into the glass, you pour just a little tiny, teeny bit of grenadine into it, which sinks to the bottom. So some of it makes... So the, the drink is yellow when it's done. 
And then when the grenadine pours in a little bit, mixes in the layers, so you get like a little bit of pink and a little bit of orange, and then most of the grenadine sinks all the way to the bottom, so it's red. So, I mean, depending on how you pour it, like my other one here, because I'm already done, almost done with my first one. So that's a pretty clear divide where most of the grenadine's pretty at the bottom, or pretty much at the bottom. And it's kind of hard to tell, but there is like a mixed layer that's kind of more pink and orange, and so. Is that is that just? Grenadine weighs more or something like how do, how do yeah, you get it's, it? It's a heavy. It, that's you don't have to do anything with it. It's just pour it in. It's a heavier syrup, so it doesn't. Now, if you were to put it in the shaker and shake it up, it would have mixed. In fact, you can see with this one, the last little bit of the drink I had, I just kind of swirl it in the glass, and it's pretty much mixed now with what was there. Okay. Just pouring it in at to finish. It just sinks, um, but it gives you a no. nice little layering effect. It's a color thing. It's, it's supposed to kind of look like a sunset or sunrise, however you want to think of it, uh, where it's like yellow with pinks and oranges and then red. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, just a kind of like little party drink, you know? Looks so cool. if, Pe- if you were to use... It's pleasing well, to the eye, all that, so... <laughs> so so the grenadine obviously adds a certain flavor because it has that cherry, like that cherry flavor to it, but... Cherry-ish. You- now, one of my longer-term goals probably not here, is I want to make grenadine, real grenadine, not the red corn syrup at the store. Which, granted, yes, that's what this was. It's cheap. It's what I had. Real grenadine is just a reduction pomegranate juice syrup. And I want to make it. Because I would love to have real grenadine. So, and plus I like pomegranate. I think pomegranate tastes good. But, uh, See, I just assumed that grenadine was like just maraschino cherries in simple syrup. I didn't. I didn't. I guess I never understood that it was. And the fake stuff might be. That might very well be it. But grenadine, like back before mass-produced, you know, industrial stuff, grenadine was uh, pomegranate syrup. Interesting. Yeah. And pomegranates are freaking expensive too, so it makes. Yes, sense they are. But I, I still want to make my own grenadine sometime for my bar. I would love to see it. I mean, so, and that was my other question was like, <clears throat> so like some of it is flavor, but obviously if you use like simple syrup, would you get the same like style of layering effect? This white syrup you, with the, you know, I don't know that to be honest, I would assume where it's just kind of clear at the bottom instead of red. Yeah. I mean, I would assume, I, I think it definitely, if you used corn syrup, it, that would be the case because yeah, I think exactly. that's all grenadine is. I'm pretty sure. Um, I, I, with simple syrup, simple syrup might just mix. I don't know. I honestly, I will admit, I don't know. That is a guess. I don't think it would just sink to the bottom, but it might, which would be kind of interesting to have like a clear layer at the bottom. But do you pour? So, what do you pour first? You don't pour the grenadine or the. I, I make first. I make the drink in a shaker and pour it into the glass, and then I t- come in afterwards and pour the grenadine into the glass, and it just sinks to the bottom. So, if you if you put the grenadine first, would it still or would it mix as you pour? Would, it? it would be more mixed because you get that agitation from the pouring in. Okay, interesting. So. All right, huh. cocktail science by John Sutton. It's I think I think. Given kind of what we've talked about in the last couple of weeks of you like cutting out certain peanut oils and this healthy lifestyle well, that you've been on, certain peanut oils, <laughs> or okay, no, all, uh, all nut yes. oils or yeah, all seed uh, oils, seed oils. Yes, I'm on. That's my kick. I'm on a no seed oil thing, which which is not, it, dude. You're just you're being healthier. It's that's not a that's mm-hmm. not something. And it's so. I think that's and it. God, they are so 
hard to avoid. Like you think, okay, I'll cut out corn syrup. And cutting out corn syrup, which is, you know, popular with health conscious people for good reason, it can kind of suck. But corn syrup, by at least by comparison now, is not that hard to avoid. And you don't really miss out. There, and if, heaven forbid, if you just really, really like soda, there are a lot of cane sugar sodas on the market. If, exactly. if if you just still have that sweet tooth for soda, it's there. You can have it. Yeah. Holy freaking crap! Seed oils are in god everything. Yeah. And, I was, and I've been on a kick with sardines lately. I've been eating a lot of sardines for lunch. And man, I just wanted some kind of cracker for my sardines. And I mean, even plain freaking saltine crackers, which I'll admit, I thought they were flour and salt and water until you baked them. <laughs> even they have canola oil in them. I'm just like, everything. I, I have these like really expensive crackers. There's these kind of, they almost look like, they're not, but they almost look like uh, Jewish food. I don't remember what they're called. But, no, I don't mean that. Like, No, I literally mean that like... Uh, there are these rye crackers that kind of look like they'd be in the ethnic food aisle. Okay. And, and Jewish food. Yeah. And so those, and then there's this, I think the brand is Crunchmaster that makes these like brown rice crackers with olive oil. And they're, they're, they're delicious. They're really good. But these are like the only crackers I can find that don't have some kind of seed oil in them. And I'm like, have you, freaking crackers. Have you had Mary's Gun Crackers? I haven't seen them. I've never heard of them. So that that was kind of they're more seed crackers, but they're not. They're just baked. There's no oils in them whatsoever. So they're they're, they're literally just baked like seeds and if a little I, bit of carbs. But if I'll see them, I'll I'll check them out. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. When I was when I was doing paleo hardcore, that those were the ones that like if I wanted crackers, I'd have to go to those. Now the taste is a little bitter because um, obviously it's just seeds and a you know weird. And and that's kind of what it is with those like. It was like I said, I can't. They just look like Jewish food to me. I can't think of a better term. And also because they're big, they're, the cracker is like uh, almost like a piece of flatbread. It's not a small cracker. Um, big old piece of matzah. <laughs> except for the fact, well, except for the fact that one, it's rye, and <clears throat> two, they are leavened to some degree. So, but other than that, not yeah, kosher. Okay. So, other than that, basically, yeah, they are matzah. But yes, there is some leavening to them. They're not. That's why I said they're almost like really dry bread rather than a cracker, but they don't taste bad. I think the there's like a multigrain one and a regular one. The regular one to me kind of tastes like uh, mini wheats without the sugar. Yeah, like if, if you can imagine like just the mini wheat, like that's kind of what they taste like. Okay. Um, and then the multigrain ones just I don't they don't have like a remarkable flavor. I can point out they don't taste bad, and they they serve my purpose as a sardine delivery method. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of like apples to me apples and bananas are technically like there's healthy items but really they're just peanut butter delivery systems to me <laughs> yes. just, you know how do i get as much peanut butter in my mouth as possible oh with this wonderful apple the spoon <laughs> just like, then you nah, just i'm just sorry but then you just look like a fat pig at that point <laughs> like if you're just like spooning <laughs> at least with an apple you can look like a little healthy you know so <clears throat> So. And that's why you don't do it in front of people. <laughs> but then the shame kicks in. There's that guilt and the shame of that situation of like, oh, did I just eat peanut butter by the pound right here? You know, um, I've never had that problem. So okay, well, well, good. I'm glad you've never had that problem. <laughs> 
Food, food can be a very shaming thing to some people, including me. So, <laughs> Unless you're me, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you're John. Um, all right. On that note, um, what I am drinking, I am drinking a uh, Pinot Noir, actually. Francis Ford Coppola uh, Director's Cup Pinot Noir. I thought you didn't so, like Pinot Noir. I don't. Um, and their Pinot is actually passable. I opened this the other day because I just, I was like, oh, hey, I want a Pinot. And it's been sitting on my counter for a couple of days, and I was like, "This is a perfect opportunity to get rid of it." So, well, it's funny because I'm the peanut noir fan of the two of us. And you are, you really are. Yeah. Um, actually, I'm kind of running low on wine. I've uh, cut off my wine club, so I'm not. Uh, yeah. Perfect. You can sign up for the one I told you about. Which one was this again? The, the castle one or something? Yeah. Yes, the Castello Castello de Amoroso. Hmm. Very, very good one. And yes, they are definitely worth the tour. If you are, I don't recommend going to California, but should you find yourself in Napa, I definitely heartily recommend going on the Castillo de Amorosa tour. It's very awesome. Send me the link to them again. Um, so I can check them out. I, I, I've, I've thought about joining a, a Maynard James Keenan's uh, Velvet Sippers Club uh, off of Caduceus. Um, world, what a world we live in, where the singer for. Tool. Tool. Yeah. His own vineyard. Yeah. What's what's amazing is he grows his grapes in Arizona. So like the the so like the the one region of the United States that you wouldn't think you could grow grapes in any If you would have told me in nineteen ninety nine that James <laughs> Keenan would have a vineyard. <laughs> and if he was listening to this right now, he'd be like, What are you talking about? I had the vineyard back then. Like but yeah. it was just <laughs> I was just waiting to. I was just waiting to be able to get the grapes going. Um, well, you know, so like the one person that I would have thought would have had a vineyard had he not died, and had maybe the band been a little bit more world renowned as uh, uh, Peter Still, typo negative, right? Because that guy always had a bottle of red wine as he's playing on stage. Unless it was vodka, I guess one time it was a bottle of vodka. But oh, was it? Okay, maybe, yeah. maybe he was having a bad month that time. But. So yeah, I broke up with a girlfriend or something, but yeah, but, I think every uh, time I've seen yeah. him, it was a bottle of wine. So yeah, and then he just drank from the bottle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was like, "There's no glass." He's like, <laughs> "And it was probably cheap, like wine, two buck check kind of stuff." But you know, like you really think with Peter Steele, he wasn't drinking good wine. Gonna... You know, it's 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 hard to say. So um, being it a, is kind of they were oh, from they were from Brooklyn. That, yeah, yes, they were from Brooklyn. Now, California wines are, I, I guess now we are in a, an era of time where they more or less do have the prestige of European vineyards, but the, the Californian vineyards are now old enough or whatever. But what we don't think, there are quite a few vineyards on Long Island, and I think they have a pretty good pedigree. You don't hear about New York wines as much, but I know for a fact there are quite a few vineyards and wines really? from Long Island. And I wouldn't, I would have never thought that Long Island could grow, like... New York or East Coast could grow wine because it's not really like I've driven past several of them, and so I would almost think he'd be drinking New York wine. Maybe it's just because he's from Brooklyn. But I don't. Know. I just I don't know. I don't see him drinking cheap wine. But yeah, maybe, okay. maybe he could be right. We don't know. Fair I'm sure yeah. there's somewhere on the internet we could find out what type of wine Peter Steele like to drink on stage. But I, <laughs> I don't care enough to find out. There's it's even more the curiosity at this point would be my main driving force and I don't have that much curiosity about it ah he was a so here's a uh, he drinks six bottles of red wine in the evening 
two before the show, two during the show, and two after the show. Six bottles. Six bottles. Could you imagine that hangover? Well, and like what I think what gets me is like there's no reason that like it makes sense why he um, died of a heart attack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, essentially, just totally alcoholic Batman. Is what it was what I'm getting. So yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's not speaking of his drug problems or anything like that. That's six yeah, bottles of six bottles. Uh, it was a magnum. He would get a magnum of Corbett Canyon. So I've never heard of Corbett Canyon, but uh, uh, so yeah. So I have no clue, but that's what he, that's what it sounds like. It was his thing to drink. Interesting. Well, there it goes. Yeah, that's that's a little much. There's the internet being used for what it's for. <laughs> useful, useful, but but weird trivia that we probably don't really need to. I wouldn't know. say that was useful. But. <laughs> so, anyways, this is you know honestly, this is why we started this whole like, what are we drinking? Because John was always going to be the more interesting one of like, here's these cocktails, and we could come up with this cocktail recipe book or something from this whole thing, you know, marketing, marketing, marketing. But um, you know, Robert Canyon is Californian, by the way. Cor- is it okay? So he's or, yeah. Arroyo Grande. Oh, there you go. There's my whole theory. Shot to hell. Yeah. No. No way. So red wine, Corbett Canyon, probably a cab. I'm gonna bet is what he drank. So, okay, so they're box because they are boxed wine. Uh, <laughs> so you were absolutely right. It, their, bo- their box of Pinot Grigio was a $12. Holy uh, shit. Their Chardonnay. Their bottles of said Chardonnay and Pinot Grigio are $677 and $679, respectively. Their Pinot Noir, $12. Merlot, $12. Their Cabernet Sauvignon, $12. Okay, so we're picking up a theme here. They make a white Zinfandel for six fifty. Awesome. Okay. There we go. You know, not all, like, $12 wines, though, are bad wines. No, and, you know, wine being what And I've always kind of heard, you know, what are you really getting for your really expensive wines? Never heard. And when I go back to, to pushing, you know... Castello de Amoroso on you. That was really in my first that I am aware of anyway. That was my first time ever drinking a 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, whatever dollar bottle of wine. I've never done that before that I know of. Maybe somebody at some point had given me some expensive wine. I don't know. And that was really the first time, especially their Merlot. Their, their Merlot was the first one that I really got into, especially. You know me. I'm not a red wine guy. Per se. There are red wines I like, and, you know, Pinot Noir and stuff like that. And I definitely like reds better than I used to. But I was always kind of a white fan, and, but not Chardonnay and stuff like that. I like Rieslings and stuff like that. Um, but this, that was the first time, and I think at the time, I think their Merlot was $60 a bottle. I, I don't recall. It was in 2018 when I went to the vineyard. But that was the first, like, I drank them alone, and I'm like, wow. Wow. I can tell this. This is different. Um, mm. it, maybe it's just because I particularly like their wine. They have a very, very good wine. Um, so maybe, obviously, that wouldn't be the case with every $60 bottle of wine. But that was the first one I really was like, hmm, this is different. This is, this is different than a $12 bottle of wine. 
There are bottles of wine that I've spent $100 on that I've walked away going, that was one of the worst bottles I think I've ever drank. <clears throat> and then there's bottles that I've spent 16 bucks on. And I'm like, damn, that was really, really tasty. Um, you know, one of the ones that comes out of mind um, is uh, Freak Show by Michael David Scott. Um, which is just, it's a cheap bottle of wine, but it's like consistent and it's good. You know, I think it's like 12 bucks, 12, 13 bucks at, the, at any liquor store. <clears throat> and I've gotten some from Francis Ford Coppola where like, I've pretty much enjoyed almost every, my favorite one to talk about is like Malbec. Oh, their, their director's cut Malbec, which has one of the coolest bottles because it actually, like it has that zoetrope on it, but it actually moves. So, so they've used that effect. So that way, when you spin the bottle, like it actually like moves around, but That's it's cool. like, I think it was like 60 or $70 for a bottle of that. And I just, I, I walked away going just completely unimpressed. It was like the worst bottle that they've ever put out of, of wine. I just couldn't, uh, couldn't. They're Malbec? Yeah, they're Malbec. That's uh, a shame because that is a wine I do like a red, I do like Malbecs. Um, well, if, if you like Malbecs, I've got plenty of other suggestions, just not that one. Okay. <laughs> That's a shame. Um, yeah. You know, kind of walking back over to whites, I, I have become a fan of Muscadets. Particularly, though, the only time I'll drink them is with oysters. They pair very well with oysters. Really? And I don't know if I could do oysters anymore. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> oh, man, I love them. I, love I know, them. I know. When I, when I was out there, we went out to that, we went to that oyster bar, that raw bar, mm-hmm. and ordered some. And they were good. I think the problem that I've had is the ones here in Denver... If you get oysters, like you don't know if you're getting East Coast and West Coast, and more than likely you're getting West Coast, and they're really briny. They're really, really salty. And so which, it's just like. Which I would like, but, you know, teach her. I yeah. have noticed, especially down here in Charleston area, and it's not that like Carolina oysters and Virginia oysters are bad. I don't think they are, but I definitely like my cold weather oysters better. Like Massachusetts up to Canada, I just, I like those oysters a lot better than. Like Virginia oysters or Carolina oysters, I just I'm, do. I'm actually confused by this because I didn't think that oysters like you could get like oysters from Massachusetts or. Oh yeah, like if you if you go to like a raw bar, you, you though we like the house oysters. Mm-hmm. That you can just order. Let me get a dozen of your house oysters or whatever, and those are I think usually pretty typically local. Um, I don't know what they'd be in in Denver. Per se. But, uh, I don't think we, we call anything house oysters here in Denver, unless they're Rocky Mountain oysters. Anyway, <laughs> but then, and those will be typically like the cheapest ones on the menu. But then you'll get like, here's these oysters from North Carolina, and there's here's these from, and, and sometimes they'll be down to like the specific bay where they got them. Like, here's oysters from such and such bay in Virginia and Maryland, and then on, 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 and up. Um, Curiously enough, I don't think I've ever seen oysters from like Delaware or Jersey. That's just an observation. I'm, not, I'm sure they have them, but I just it just occurs to me. I don't think I've ever seen like New Jersey oysters or New York oysters. <laughs> now that I think about them, but or now that I think about, I don't think I've seen them from Connecticut or Rhode Island. But you see Massachusetts. Yeah. No, I haven't seen New Hampshire ones either. Maine, Prince Edward Island, Nova Scotia, and again Massachusetts on up. Those cold waters, I like them a lot better. Now, this is an interesting thing that I kind of joke about. So, over the Atlantic, salmon. Mm-hmm. You have Atlantic salmon. Yeah. On the Pacific side, you have Chinook, Sockeye, King. I think one of those are the same, but whatever. 
coho, all these different salmons. Yeah. In, in the Pacific, you have oysters. <laughs> in the Atlantic side, you have blah blah blah, blah. and they, they, they like they have like funny names too. Yeah. And it's just so you'll have all these different weird named oysters, but just Atlantic salmon. And on the Pacific side, you have oysters, and then all these different types of salmon. It, it's just weird. It's, it may, maybe it's just because the fish on the Pacific side are well, better, but the shellfish on the Atlantic well, side and are better. Also, like, there's just Atlantic salmon. It's one species. There are several species of salmon in the um, Pacific. In yeah, the yeah. Pacific. Um, Which makes sense because then oyster farmers probably have their own species of oyster that, like, you know. So. And it's, I, don't, I don't know there. And they they grow different sizes. You can t- when you like when you order a bunch of oysters from different places and they bring it out on the big ice tray. Yeah, you'll get really flat, broad oysters. You'll get little tiny ones. You will get ones that have like a half moon shape to them. You'll get like just flat ovals. So yeah. there's definitely a lot of different shapes to them. I don't know. Every single time I eat an oyster, I just got to think like that's still like a, a live animal that's going down my gullet. So, you know, and John just. <laughs> it's weird. I can eat sushi just fine, but something about the oyster just like bugs the crap out of me. And God love the man who just decided who was the first person who decided to try to eat an oyster raw. Yeah. Like was like this looks good. I'm gonna try this. Like, well, how long did people <laughs> walk by him? How long did people just go buy oysters and just think they were rocks? Uh, that's true. Yeah. Like that's true. Who was the first person to be like? I think there's something inside this. Like, <laughs> pry that sucker open. Yeah. Well, the first one would probably smashed open, but I'm just like, yeah. That's how, true. How long did people just think they were rocks? Like, yeah. <laughs> They don't. They look like rocks. <laughs> <laughs> look at this great sea rock. I, I can't, well, I, you know, I'm thinking about that, but just think. So all other shellfish, how they're in clusters and everything like that, and they're obviously something different. Clams, scallops, mussels. Those are obviously something. Where oysters are the ones that look like rock, but obviously they were probably in clusters and groups. So there's probably a dead giveaway in that regard. Yeah, but, but I just. <laughs> and it wouldn't had to be open at one point and somebody goes that looks tasty that just looks very good this this slimy booger thing looks really wonderful <laughs> so all right they're well that they're, they're also insanely good for you by the way yeah i mean i think pretty much almost all fish are generally uh like you, you know you said that you're on this anchovy kick but that makes sense like sardines you know it's anchovies. sardines sorry yeah, but sorry, still either way, like you're getting this like high dose of of uh, D's and omega threes, and like if you want to talk about like brain food, that's that's supposed to be sardines right there, you know. So uh, one of the most healthiest fish you can eat. So well, cool. Um, we shall move on to our next topic, which John convinced me. <laughs> And it really didn't take much convincing. It was me saying, John, do you want to record a podcast? What do we want to talk about? What do we want to do? And the subject of Nick Cage's next movie came up. Um, yes. So John John just had to say, like, let's go see this. Um, so we went to go see it. In fact, on the same day, which is surprising. Um, just different times. Um, but I I mean, I, I, I can't say any more about the lead up. Like, so, so like... 
the main topic of this whole thing is 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 definitely the unbearable weight of massive talent. And I, that I still is up the name. Nick Cage. Like, I'm like I have to like really think about the name. Like, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> it does take a bit of thinking. It is it is a very long title. It's it's not a uh, it's not an easy title. So it does not roll off the tongue. It, no, no. It's I think it's nine. How many words? Nine words? Eight words? And it's, seven? It's memorable in spirit, but not. In in itself, memorable. Yeah, it's like exactly, exactly. It's, yeah, <laughs> you, you hear it, and you're like, I'm definitely going to remember this movie exists. But it's like, what was it called again? Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I so maybe maybe we just get your thoughts first. Like, I would I would love to hear what your first thoughts on this whole. Well, I definitely can say this movie is worth talking about. Okay. Uh, um, and. From my perspective, you you are the big indie film guy. Wait, I have not, I can't remember the last time I watched some kind of independent film at all. But I, um, I don't think this is an independent. No, film. No, this is not. But so I'm just speaking from my you know pleb foot, uh, experience. But this is uh, the first movie I can recall in a long time that is worth talking about as a film. As, as like let's let's talk and break down this film. I can't think of the last time I saw a movie that I would say that it's worth conversing about. Can um, can you break this film down, or does it require I more? Think so. Okay, I think so. Um, should we just go ahead and say spoilers? Yeah, because sure, I I think it's kind of important, like to spoil this movie to discuss it. Um, I will say this movie was. On a, on the surface level, yeah, it was Nick Cage poking fun at himself, which is very respectable. Mm-hmm. Um, you're just kind of having fun. Uh, which, uh, when you actually oh, read the uh, behind the scenes, um, it wasn't he. I guess he tried to say no to this movie like 20 times. Like the writer and director of the film uh, wrote to him all these letters and stuff, trying to get him to do it. They wrote this movie in honor of Nick Cage. They tried to get him to do it. And he wouldn't do it. He actually wanted to play the bad guy, Pedro Pascal's character. That would have uh, almost been awesome. Like, if he would have had somebody <laughs> somebody playing Nick Cage in the movie while they put Cage played the villain, that would have <laughs> kind of been awesome. <laughs> uh, now I almost kind of wish that was the movie. Yeah. Um, like, I, I think I would have... That movie would have been... This wasn't a bad movie. I enjoyed it, but I'm just... I'm sure, like that would have just been awesome. Like, I mean, it would have been yes. a little bit more meta, right? Like Nick Cage basically playing his biggest fan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that that is be the one thing more meta than him playing himself? Like, exactly. Yeah, you can't you can't get any better than that. <laughs> um, so that being said, it's a comedy. I laughed at it. I did not laugh as much as I thought I was going to. I'm not necessarily upset about that because I, I it was it was an experience and I, I why this movie is worth breaking down is because it has a very surface level thing that's not worth talking about. That's very kind of yeah, been there, done that. But it had a lot more layers going on that surprised me. Because it was... Remember when I was when I first texted you about it? I, first, I, I can't... 
the only thing that come makes sense to me that come coming to mind is a parody of a comedy, not a comedy that is a parody, a parody of a comedy, and I I couldn't think of any other way to describe it. Um, and I, it's still hard to think of anything else. It was it was not. It had its like sort of meta fourth wall sort of thing. Mick Cage yeah. playing himself, kind of at the end of his rope with his acting, getting thrown into the zany situation. It had a very surface level comedy element to it. Then it had a very surface level like cr- crime and like thriller, like action movie element to it. But these are all so it's not coming across as a art film or whatever you would call it. But then there's a lot of very interesting depth to it that I could not ignore, but I don't even know if most people would catch. Yeah. Uh, one, I loved how they told you what was going to happen. It had the most unique foreshadowing I've ever seen, and how when they decide, let's make this movie, they basically start telling you what's going to happen in the movie. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. Like, well, what if we... You know, this is a very char- character-driven drama about two men who become best of friends. And it's like, well, what if we add a kidnap plot? And what if we make it, like... And, and it, it, the movie turns into what they're talking about. And yeah. I, I, that was awesome. I, just, I loved it. Uh, it, it <laughs> that's the main gist of my point, too. I, I, that I, I enjoyed immensely. And, yes, I still did laugh. I want I don't want to say that I didn't laugh, because I did. Uh, I just I kind of expected to like be holding my sides by the end of this movie, and that was not the case. Uh, <laughs> uh, to see this movie, and I think more to the point, to appreciate this movie, you have to know your Nicolas Cage movies. Yeah, <clears throat> and you have to also know your Nicolas Cage memes. I, um, I think to a certain, I think to get some of the jokes, yes, uh, but it's like. The the end reference to the bees, right? And to be <laughs> honest, you knew you knew it was going to be in there, right? But to, what's funny is like to be honest, I actually didn't know that reference, and the only reason that I did is because I went to go see it at Alamo Draft House, and Alamo Draft House like had this like running thing about Nick Cage throughout the whole like. So for example, they they spent a good like fifteen twenty minutes with Nick Cage reading the Telltale Heart. And it was literally him sitting in front of an audience at this like uncaged or caged event that Alamo put on years ago, and he's reading the Telltale Heart. And it, and you're like, I think I sent John the video of it. Like I was like, this is this is just weird to me. It's just like it's he's reciting Edgar Allan Poe, and he's not doing it well. He's just doing it very Nick Cage like. Um, if that if that helps, like kind of put it in, into like very just. Uh, <laughs> For better or for worse, Nick Cage is Nick Cage. Nick Cage, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, it's not overacting. It's not underacting. It's not. It's it's just Nick Cage acting. <laughs> um, so, uh, but part of that was like the bees, like reference. All of a sudden, you're like, you know, he's. It shows like scenes from The Wicker Man. It was like, not the bees, you know. And you're like, oh god, all right, this is what I'm getting into. Um, so like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if you need to know all the memes. Um, it, it does, it does help though. Like it does help. Yeah. So and it's, 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 it's the movie's like a celebration of Nick Cage while making fun of him at the same time. 
Yeah. And I, I found it very... Some people kind of thought it was basically him kind of just bragging about himself and that kind of turned off the idea of the movie. But I recognized it going in that it was more poking fun at him. And it was, it was I think it was very a very humble experience for him. Or just a very humble gesture, I should say. Not experience for him, but like... Yeah. That's how I see it. Like, you know, you, he had to be very comfortable with himself and also very aware of what people think about him to make this movie. Um, I, I, but that's, like, he. I think he does. Like, he, he coined his own style of acting because he said the line in the movie, and I had to look it up, um, where he's, like, nouveau something or something or other. Like, he coins his own style of acting, <laughs> um, which... Uh, um, I found very interesting in and of itself that like he he knows and he understands like he's he's kind of extreme and so he brings that out and he's he's like oh okay cool so he throws that out there very just nonchalant like oh that's my style I know what my style is and I'm gonna do it so um, I gotta look this up what is Nick Cage's uh, style of acting but acting style here we go Nicholas Cage acting style. Uh, nouveau sh- 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 shamanism. Nouveau shamanism. I thought it sounded cool. That's it. That's what it, he, it's because he thought it sounded cool. That's what he uses. So <laughs> that's Nick Cage in a nutshell, right there. Um, what did you like? Nothing against Nick Cage, but my favorite part of this movie was Pedro Pascal. Honestly, like this doe-eyed. Very, um, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? He just, he's not ignorant of what's going on to a certain extent. Um, like for example, like the, the twist of the movie, like he's, he's fine being the, the, the fall guy or the, the face of this whole situation. Right. But, but in many ways, like, I don't know, he just kind of brought out like a really, it was a lot of fun to see his character, like, and to kind of get that twist of it. It was like, oh, he's not really the bad guy, and this this could actually work out for both of them. So, um, yeah, you know, yeah, so I was, right. I, I like that. I did. Um, I'm like you. I didn't laugh throughout the whole movie. Like uh, when you were trying to describe it to me, when once you saw it, and I was like, okay, so so I'll probably end up laughing. And it was funny because I, I chuckled a few times. It mm-hmm. was entertaining. It was entertaining. Let's just put it this way. It was it's not a bad movie. It's entertaining. Yes. It's just not like side splitting I'm going to laugh through this whole movie kind of thing. So No. And actually some of the elements were actually pretty dark and heavy. You know, the family drama aspect of it and Yeah. And everything like that. Uh <laughs> Demi Moore playing his wife. Yeah, that, that <laughs> That that seamless transition, like <laughs> that was actually a perfect edit. That couldn't have been any better. <laughs> that was like Michael Bay style editing right there. That was that was perfect. That was like Bad Boys. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was that was good. Uh, and you remember when I said they, they you could not have done this with any other actor. No this, no, this could not have been a Johnny Depp movie. Like, actually, it could be a Johnny Depp film later. Like now in his life, like this could probably be something Johnny Depp does. Somebody like somebody makes the unbearable weight of massive talent too. The, yeah, the, with Johnny Depp. The, yeah. With Johnny Depp. 
Um, abusing his his girlfriend. No, we're not going to go there. Never mind. That's that's bad. That's bad. Um. So okay, so we go we go down this path of like Nick Cage essentially going to visit or getting paid. He's is at the end of his rope. That was the other bit that I think I enjoyed so much was like he's talking to his younger self. So like a young, starry-eyed Nick Cage who's like that's his. Yeah. Um, You're you a know. star, baby. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I I liked it initially, but I thought that part to me that was the weakest part of the movie, just because it's not in the movie much. But when he was on, like his alter ego would come yeah. out and talk. That to me was kind of the most overplayed. Like it, it wasn't too much, but it did go too long. I get um, it. It drug out. Yeah. It was almost like a running gag that stopped being funny to me. You got to admit that the funniest part of that whole, like that whole interchange, is when he kisses himself. That and he's like Nick yeah, Cage was, kisses good. That, that was the peak of it. Yeah. That, that was, <laughs> yeah, having a makeout session with yourself. Um, <laughs> but, but I think the part I liked better was the very first scene with him where he got mad and like pulled over and said, "Get out of my car." Yeah. And then like he comes to the conclusion he's talking to himself. Yeah. And then, yeah. Coming coming to the conclusion like. Oh wait! I just stopped in the middle of the road. Like, like <laughs> <laughs> guys, somebody's honking behind him, and he's like, "Oh, I got to drive on." Um, it, to me, as weird as it is, the best association you can think of is the third Spy Kids movie. Because um, I did watch I that with my kid. It. Okay, their kids movie. Sorry, I did watch it with my kid. And so, in those movies, the villains aren't really villains. They kind of like become good guys at the end because it is a kids movie. So, mm-hmm. um, like the good guys kind of. End up, or the bad guys kind of end up not being bad guys by the end. And the third movie, the villain is Sylvester Stallone. I was going to ask, wasn't Sylvester Stallone in one of them? Yeah, yeah, okay. And so his character in it has like multiple personality disorder. So there's a bunch of different Sylvester Stallones. Like one of them's like in World War One, like general uniform kind of thing. So there's a bunch of different personalities of him. And there's a part where they start getting in a conversation with themselves, and like he stops them and he's like, okay. Having multiple personalities, I'm fine with. But when you guys start having conversations without me, that's when I kind of draw the line. Like it was, and it was funny. It was a funny part. Like my my personalities are starting to leave me out of conversations. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and that was the closest comparison I can think of. Um, shift completely shifting the tone especially like the family stuff and kind of what drew led him down the line to you know taking the money to be at this guy's birthday party and everything like that mm-hmm. what i thought to me i caught this maybe it wasn't the intention maybe it's me reading things that aren't there but i thought this was a unspoken nod to leaving las vegas oh the the swimming pool yeah yeah, where he jumps into the swimming pool with the bottle of booze. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, even before, like, just the whole part leading up to that, like. Oh, okay. Like this is because it's like him at the end of his rope and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not see Leaving Las Vegas until years and years and years after it came out. And granted, I was still a teenager when it did come out. You know. Yeah. You know, uh, not the kind of movie my parents would have taken me to see, and really not within my realm of influence or interest to see. Yeah. 
but I remember hearing about it. I remember hearing about how depressing it is and all the things like that. And then obviously also, I think that's the only movie he won an award for, or at least um, Best Actor. Probably. I mean, or, yeah, probably, actually. Or, or at least Best Actor, I think. So, and, so I, again, years and years after that movie came out, I watched it. I, I only watched it probably like eight years ago. And to me, I have a, it's not a, I, I, I say this, I, fe- I fear that when I say this in front of the wrong person, they get the wrong idea about me or something like that, like I need to be mm-hmm. watched or something like that, and that's not the case at all. I have an interest in characters that have given up on life, that are basically just at the end of the rope and have given up and are ready to throw in the towel, commit suicide or whatever. So... His character in Leaving Las Vegas is very compelling to me. And I know, like, Elizabeth Shue did a good job with her role in the movie. Mm -hmm. Being the prostitute he meets in Las Vegas. And they end up kind of falling for each other because they're sort of two lost souls that found each other. And yes, that's what the movie's about. It's, It's not bad, and she did a very good job with it. I just, I don't have any interest in her part in the movie because of that and to me the best part of the movie is the beginning like all the way up to like the to me the best scene in the movie is like when he's just putting all his stuff in trash bags and setting everything on fire and when he leaves the house and like the entire sidewalk in front of the house is just black trash bags yeah because he's like that to me is the best part of the movie just because it's very that mindset very compelling that's very compelling to me is what I mean to say so yeah, it's not a, none, nothing against Elizabeth Shue. It's it, she did a good job. It's just plus she was always hot back then. That's just the part that grabs me in that movie. Uh, that that guy who is given up. Yeah. Uh, wasn't wasn't he a failed screenwriter or something in that movie? It's been such a long yes. time since I've seen it. Oh, I don't know about screenwriter, but yeah, he was, he was somebody in Hollywood that he was such an alcoholic that he couldn't get work anymore. Nobody wanted to work with him. Now his wife and daughter are gone. Nobody, nobody wanted anything to do with him. Yeah, because he was just such an alcoholic. And so he did win. So that was the one that he won an Academy Award for, um, and he was nominated for adaptation. So, um, which I don't know if you ever saw that, but that's uh, Spike Jones. I want to say, um, by a movie by Charlie Kaufman. Yeah, Spike Jones directed it. Um, but it's essentially kind of like a loose adaptation of Charlie Kaufman uh, trying to write a movie. And that's kind of what ended up coming out of it. Um, or story or something like that. But um, So, like, it's it's funny because, like, there's, there's a lot of us today that would, like, consider some Nick Cage movies, like... City of Angels is one that comes to mind for me. It's a horrible movie. It's not a good movie, right? But but if you think about like kind of growing up, uh, you know, there those are like some just roles that kind of stick out. City of Angels, The Rock, right? Um, Leaving Las Vegas, obviously. Uh, Honeymoon in Vegas was always one of my favorites. I don't know if you ever saw that one or not. Um, but weird, like just kind of thing. And then of course, Raising Arizona. You and I would would like go with Raising Arizona any any day of the week. You I don't know never, if that. If, I've never seen it. You've never seen Raising Arizona? I've seen like the first 20 minutes of it. No shit, man. Like such the Coen Brothers fan and you've never seen Raising Arizona. It's kind of never came around. 
Wow. That's crazy. Um, I, I say you need to watch that movie. Like if anything, it just, I think, I think it gives you an idea of like when he was tame before he became really crazy. Like he was, there, there had to have been a point in the Nicolas Cage career when all of a sudden he just went off the deep end where you're like, what is with this guy? You know, like he starts doing these weird science fiction films. Was it, was it when Ghost Rider came out? Um, it started in the, the, the comic book movie craze had not kicked off yet when he did that. Um, I never saw the second one and I didn't hate the first one. I mean, I no. don't, I'm not going to like, I need to watch Ghost Rider. I'm not, not going to be that way. I don't feel that way at all. But, um, <laughs> I, I love the nod to the motorcycle in it from Easy Rider. That was awesome with Peter Fonda and all that. Uh, yeah, and I guess so. He just his work dried up, and so he was taking weirder roles, and he was just kind of taking what he could get. Oh, uh, uh, I I knew when he did Left Behind, like the latest the, Left Behind movie. That's when I was like, man, his career must really be over. And I, I was really wondering where he was in his spiritual life that he would agree to that, too. But, uh, <laughs> he needed money. Yeah. And, and they wanted a big name. And that's, I think that was all it was. I don't, I don't think and it was I, And I did not see that. Like, I, I have, uh, did not see that at all. Um, <laughs> don't worry about it. I, I won't. I, I saw the first one with Kirk Cameron. And, and, yeah. and, that, and that's, I was a tremendous fan of those books. And I, I was not impressed with their adaptation. Let's put it that way. Oh no. Um, the other so and the other thing, but he also started off that way before he became a household name. He was kind of known as a lunatic in yeah. terms of the role. He would play like crazy characters. Yeah. Uh, and then like Face Off was a really good example of that crazy. But that was the height of his career and everything like that in the nineties. And that you know, Con Air was big. The Rock was big. Face Off came the year after that. And, you know, Leaving Las Vegas was, I think, the year before Con Air and everything like that. So he was, yeah. you know, the 95, 96, 97 was really like the peak of his career. Uh, but it was before that. And I we talked to you before. So that band from the 90s, Snot, had the one song, Deadfall. And I did not even know this for years and years and years. That was the name of a movie. And all the lyrics in that song are basically just lines from that movie. Huh. And the the main it's a very low budget, very bad movie. It's not good, but uh, it's a movie about con men, you know, playing, you know, doing a con. Yeah. Uh, Michael Bain's like the narrator and main character, and gets pulled into this, you know, situation. And Nicolas Cage plays this loose cannon that he's working with. It's uh, most of the lines actually from the song are Nick Cage lines. And I have never seen this movie, but I went on YouTube and I looked up just like highlights of Nick Cage from Deadfall. Huh. And one of the top comments on that video, which made me laugh, is like, I wonder how Nicolas Cage got paid for this in ounces or grams. Because <laughs> <laughs> it, it wasn't Francis Ford Coppola, but somebody else in the family, like basically like that's the only reason why he had the part because he's, you know, in the family. Because he's a Coppola. Yeah. So it was not, you know, somebody else in the Coppola family that made that movie. But, uh, yeah, it was just like, yeah, I wonder how I get paid for this in ounces of grams. Because he's... <laughs> it's 
<laughs> the way he plays his character, Nick, you're just like, oh, it's, it's the term secondhand embarrassment comes to mind. Yes, um, yeah. <laughs> well, see, and that's so it's funny too because uh, I had texted you before the movie, like I was like, you, is there any Valley Girl references? And I, you hadn't seen that movie, um, but like Valley Girl is kind of that quintessential '80s uh, movie. Nick Cage plays the um, uh, the poor kid from across the tracks. Who falls in love with the rich girl from you know up up you know in the valley kind of thing down in the valley? So, um, by the it, way, it's when, just, you, when you oh, told me about that, I looked up and so that movie was kind of inspired by the Frank Zappa song. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yes. Oh, that's awesome. That's cool. Okay, um, but like that—that's like a quintessential '80s film, and it's funny because there's a band called uh, Bouncing Souls, one of my favorite bands, uh, punk bands. And they have a they, one of their first songs is "These are the lines from my favorite '80s movies." And like literally, they they capture like a whole subsection of Valley Girl in there. Um, and so it was just like, again, that's that's the that's I think to me, I don't think it's like it's because it's an '80s film. I think it's because it's a Nick Cage film. Like that is to me the staying power of Nick Cage. Like he's, he's almost got a cult classic following, like a cult following at this point. Like people just go yeah. see his movies because it's Nick fucking cage. Um, and, and that might be the whole like reason for this film at the end of the day is just like these two filmmakers were just such Nick Cage fans. Cause that's what they grew up on that. Like they decided to make a Nick Cage film, the, the quintessential Nick Cage film. It wasn't even just, you know, because no matter good or bad, it's just, him, <laughs> yeah, and it exists. <laughs> like, we can't. <laughs> there's no undoing this film at this point. There's no. There's no getting rid of it. It just exists. Um, and it's, it's 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 maybe sometimes it's art. Maybe sometimes it's a train wreck. But it's just you can't. It just. <laughs> I I'm I'm gonna say that at no point in time did I see art. Throughout the entire film, I just well, I just saw uh, this film. Oh but yeah, not, but I mean, but I mean Nick Cage in general. Like, oh Nick, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, and the, I and it does make me wonder. It it really does. Like just knowing, I saw Vampire's Kiss. I don't know if you've ever seen that or not. Um, I've seen Mandy. Um, what was what was one of his latest ones? Mom and Dad. Did you see that one? No. Uh, is it <laughs> called Mom and Dad? Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called Mom and Dad. Um, Selma Blair, him and Selma Blair, and and they play like it just so happens that for some reason, all of a sudden, one day, all of these parents across the world decide that they're going to kill their kids. It just comes out of nowhere, like it's like a a a, a and it's one, it's twenty four hours of like all of a sudden all these parents decide that they're just going to they just hate their kids and they just want to kill them. And and so that's that's what happens is like Nick Cage and Selma Blair are trying to kill their two children. It's the weirdest fucking movie you'll ever see. It's it's I can't say that it's good. I can't say that it's bad. It's just weird. It's but it's Nick Cage brings something out out of it, right? And so I don't know where I'm going with this. Ultimately like just that it's Nick Cage. It's Nick, Nick Cage. Cage. Baby. Um, I liked his, you know, family drama where it was probably his most subdued role ever, Family Man. I thought that was a pretty good movie. Um, What was it? Weatherman? Did you see Weatherman? Didn't see Weatherman. Uh, Family. Who else was in that movie? Uh, Tia Leone and 
Uh, who plays War Machine? Uh, Don Cheadle. Um, oh, D- D- Terrence Howard or Don Cheadle? It's one of the Don, Don Cheadle, not Terrence Howard. Uh, he's like the guardian. Did you see that or? Uh, which one? Family, Family Man. Man. That's the one where he switched. Like he's the like popular guy who suddenly all of a sudden wakes up and he's he's like a regular family guy rather than the yeah well and so it's like his guardian angel gives him it's sort of kind of a retelling of it's a wonderful life it's along those same lines like his guardian angel played by don Cheadle, basically you know snaps him into a different existence where he married tia leone they were they were like boyfriend girlfriend in college i think and they went their separate ways and he snaps him into, and he became he became this super high profile mover in you know uh, like New York finance, okay. and you know like perpetual bachelor, you know expensive suits, expensive cars, high, you know, playboy, high yeah, yeah, high, but you know almost too busy to be a playboy, sort of like just kind of married to his work, sort of thing, but. Not that he, he wasn't, but, but yeah, he snaps him, and so now he's in Jersey, you know, in suburbia, working at, like, Tia Leone's dad's tire shop kind of thing, and it's, you know, him struggling with, you know, what happened to my, you know, high roller lifestyle, and, okay. but sort of started then, instead of seeing the value in being, like, a married man, and a father, and a family, a family man, hence the name. Um, uh, so it kind of one of those like movies where the morals just all about teaching you you know what what's really important in life kind of thing it's one of those plots it's it's, just decent it it sounds like um what what was that one where he gives away the lottery ticket um it could happen to you it could happen to you you teaches you that like the value of money is more is worth is not not as much as he gave away half the winnings that's of the lottery, okay, yeah, and, and like, like his wife's like a total hoe bag. Yeah, um, um, ends up falling in love with the waitress. Yeah, that kind of thing. Um, or what was so? You should see the weatherman because that was that was Gore Verbinski, um, and it's it's kind of like this weird thing of him like deconstructing his. In many ways, like he, that character is him deconstructing his uh, um, his own style, his own life, like his own choices and his own like. Do I really want to be famous anymore? That kind of that kind of thought process. It's it's kind of an interesting like Nick Cage playing himself at the height of his career. Um, and like I said, it's Gore Verbinski, and so you know, I mean, you get you get the director of Pirates of the Caribbean and Rango right right all there. So you know. Um, I know where I was going with this. Like this, this idea of like when Nick Cage is not his cagiest, when he's not this nouveau shamanistic actor. Like, do you think it's the director that's like calming his ass down? Could be. I, th- I definitely think he's when he. So he's kind of known, obviously. Obviously, he's known for being crazy. Uh, yeah. It just being very over the top. So when he ends up getting a role that calls for it, the director, I think the director just kind of lets him go. But I think he's just more than willing to take work where, you know, he'll just listen to what the director wants and he can play a subdued role where he can play. Like, you know, Con Air is this corny, cheesy action movie, which granted is better than most corny, cheesy action movies. 
mm-hmm. at least for in a creative sake, and the villains are very memorable and everything like that. But Nicolas Cage does almost no acting in the movie. He's just kind of very subdued. He's more or less subdued Put in the whole movie. The bunny down, you know, like back in the box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, the whole movie, he's very, you know. <clears throat> Other than his action sequences, which are him acting, acting in terms of like speaking lines, like all the yeah. lines he speaks in it are very subdued, and it's, it's just weird. Yeah, which you know that movie it's funny. came out in oh, spring of '96, and then just a couple months later, The Rock came out. Wait, where he Con was, Air was before The Rock. Yeah, Con Air. Oh, I thought Con The Air, Rock was before Con Air in my mind. Con Con Air came out right around the same time Twister did, and then okay. The Rock came out in June. Uh, and I gotta say, I like The Rock way better. And I, I don't know if it was Sean Connery. I don't. I like. Could have been Sean Connery. It was a smarter movie, definitely. Yeah. Uh, but you know, John Malkovich is really who made Con Air. You know, yeah. Just as the villain, and Steve Buscemi, even to, to a lesser degree. And then, yeah. then, yeah, just the fact that it was just a wacky concept of what was going on, but everything like that. <laughs> uh, was it? But, Don, was it Dave Chappelle in that movie too? Yes. Dave Chappelle was in that movie, uh, but the rock, he was way more out there in the Rock. Although he didn't, he wasn't playing his crazy self either, but just more emotional, more reactionary, you know. Which made sense for his character because he was this white collar, you know, desk jockey that got put in this life or death situation, and it, you know, pulled yeah. up. You know, he's not going to win any Oscars for it, but it was convincing. <laughs> it served the role, and so it, if, if you had like, to choose. Because there were three Michael Bay movies that came out, or not Michael Bay movies, but let's 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 call them the uh, Bruckheimer films, right? There were three Bruckheimer films that had Nick Cage in them: Con Air, The Rock, and Gone in sixty Seconds. Which one would you say is your favorite, though, out of those three? That's a tough call because I actually like Gone in sixty Seconds more than I think a lot of people did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like Gone in sixty Seconds. It's a fun I movie. It's a, it is a fun movie. A very very young uh, Timothy Oliphant's in that movie too. Um, it, it was it was like Fast and the Furious, but better. Yeah. No, like also, it was it was the better Fast and the Furious. I, I will say, yeah, I think it's better than Fast and Furious. It's also you know a, re- a remake of a uh, Steve McQueen movie, so you got to remember great. that. Mm-hmm. And you know the original Hollywood car stuntman movies, and they're just in a league of their own. Yeah, I cannot compare it to that because I've never seen the original. But I imagine like the old car chase movie fans probably think the new Gone in sixty seven seconds is terrible. I can't speak to that. I just thought Gone in sixty seconds was a lot of fun. That being said, I'd probably say The Rock is the best quality of the three. Okay. Um, and then I'd probably, as weird as it is, then I'd probably actually say Con Air is the most fun. Uh, so it's kind of a tough call there. So so Rock is the better quality. I'd say it's the best quality of the three. You like it, Gone in 60 Seconds more, but Con Air is more fun. Yeah. Okay. All Con right. Air is just a fun movie. Uh, Gone in 60 Seconds, it's hard because like I, I like it, I think, better than a lot of people did. But mm-hmm. I don't know if I'd like it as much as either one of those two. Uh, so yeah, it's kind of it's, it's it's actually kind of a tough call for me. And and obviously Sean Connery elevated the Rock, the, the Rock quite a bit. The Rock is the most intense in terms of stakes. 
obviously, mm-hmm. and, I, and I mean that in the sense of kind of real, real. Yes, obviously the whole terror thing and like you know the VX gas and all that, but just in terms of you know feeling the sense of danger there. Yeah. Or, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I get that because at the end of the day, like you know, um, the the terror the terror is very real in the Rock versus Gone in sixty seconds. A bunch of car guys go to jail because they're stealing cars. Not a huge deal, right? That's the, like the stakes yeah. don't feel very high. The stakes are um, very personal in that one. Yeah, and Con Air just is. I think there's no, there's really no stakes. It's just a bunch of convicts in an airplane that could crash at any point in time. So again, maybe more personal again, but not really like nobody's really scared that the convicts are going to cause mayhem in the whole world kind of thing. So, I mean, I get the whole idea of like, they're very dangerous, you know, killers, you know, can't let them get out. I get that, but it's, it is just, it, it is, um, is interesting. All right, so National Treasure, where do you stand, man? I'm a fan. I'm a fan of both of them. I okay, it's they, they are a guilty pleasure for me. Like they are, I I, I think it's it's that style of movie that I like. That kind of archaeological adventure. Like, you know, the puzzle. Like they're puzzles, trying to solve something. Yeah, puzzles, clues, mysteries. Yeah, I like that kind of thing. Uh, it, less, it's the it's, it's the one. Re- I will say that that was the one redeeming character out of all of the, the uh, out of the new Uncharted film is, is the, the puzzles that, that like you, you know, they, they incorporated those in there while they weren't deep and meaning, but it was like, Oh, okay, cool. He's got to use his brain to try to figure out where the gold's hidden. That's kind of cool. You know? So, you know, again, national treasure that I think they went a really good step in the direction of like, Building the uh, the world behind the Constitution and then the founding of the United States, and you know, using that as kind of the backbone to kind of give you the direction of like, oh yeah, this is how they're going to find the treasure and stuff. So, I thought I thought they did a, a good job of incorporating that. Yes, yeah, and Nick Cage was his most subdued. <laughs> Again, um, I was actually surprised to see less of like those t- style of references in this movie. Like I would like you had face off. Uh, obviously, they brought up Mandy because the chainsaw. Uh, when you walked into his room of of collectibles, like you could kind of see every different movie that was in there. But it was weird, like the references in that film to other Nick Cage films. They were either very hidden or. Um, like it was never a blatant like, hey, this is a Nick Cage call out. Like it was a very hidden kind of like call out. Like you almost there's, had to be like, oh, <clears throat> there's like two or three movies that like smacks you in the face with it, like Face Off and Con Air. Yeah, and I think The Rock. Well, of course they smack you in the face with Con Air because like that's the opening fucking scene. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. You know, <laughs> but then also like his guns from Face Off and yes, like, which I. Fucking love Face Off. I'll go ahead and tell oh, you. That. I, John I, Woo, John Woo's best film in America, probably. Yeah, and but you know, it, to me, just the whole because John Woo makes you know gun fu action movies. Yeah, it's what he does, and that movie had it. It very much was a gun fu action movie, but a f- really freaking dark plot, and there is just so many sick and twisted moments in that movie. Oh, some yeah. very memorable lines. Some 
very, very dark things that would just, that movie is just in a league of its own. I, I love Face Off. Um, yeah. It had, the whole idea that you could take somebody's face and implant it on your own. Yeah. When just, <laughs> and, 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 and so taking that sci-fi element and then making two mortal enemies swap personalities, you know, swap identities. Yeah. Um, and, and I love, I love Face Off. Face Off is a fantastic movie. Uh, yep. His scene where he's stoned the, the the one scene that always comes to mind when he's stoned out of his his mind and he's literally he's sitting there on the couch talking to like his group of friends he's like I'm gonna take his face off <laughs> and you're just like what the hell <laughs> um a beautiful yeah yeah it, it is it, it, a beautiful is probably saying too much but uh, but it is it's a good movie like it's 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 I would say that that was one of my favorite action films back growing up. So. And to me, like the the action's the least important part of it. Like, well, what do you think is the most important part of it? The dynamic between those two is. Mm. I gotta wonder how hard it was for them to play, like John Travolta. Given Travolta in himself is kind of his own cult classic, mm-hmm. you know, following you know kind of <clears throat> the same, but basically like to be approached that movie of like you're gonna have to learn your part and then your opponent's part like you have to be both of you have to be the both the protagonist and the antagonist in this movie exactly and you uh, have to and, learn how each other so like i almost wonder how much of like nick cage is like this is how i'm acting and had to work with yeah john travolta on that to get the yeah. part right like, and then vice like, versa right yeah yeah nick cage has to learn to do his best john travolta impression and john travolta has to learn to do his best nick cage impression and <laughs> Which I mean, if you've seen Broken Arrow, it's probably not that hard to do I, a John Travolta impression for Nick Cage. Broken Arrow is not memorable. But. <laughs> no, it's not. But Christian Slater and John Travolta together, come on, like you know, like you're yeah. not going to get any more '80s than that movie right there. Well, that movie was in the '90s, but that's true. That's true. Um, you know, but but again, like. If you want to talk about a, a an actor whose whose career probably mirrored that of Nick Cage, because even John Travolta like has his, I mean, like his over the top acting style, cult following, you know, people who are like John Travolta is the shit, right? Who's done some good films, like he's won an Oscar here or there, right? And he's he's done movies like Phenomenon and. Uh, that's the one that comes to mind. That wasn't even all that good, but um, no, and Michael was, wasn't that good either. Um, yeah, and I I had basically written John Travolta off until The Punisher when he was the villain in that. Um, really, you like that? I love The Punisher. I love that movie. Um, I'll take Thomas Jane as the Punisher any day of the week, but I don't know about John, John Travolta. No well, I just, like that. M- maybe he wasn't like spectacular in it, but he was passable, and I love the movie. So, but I just. I had like completely written off John Travolta when until I saw The Punisher. I'm like, okay, like, okay, he can make a movie that I like. Uh, who who did he play in that movie? Howard Saint. Howard Saint. Okay. Interesting. I don't even know if he was a uh, if he was part of the Marvel universe or not. So he did, and I did like they how. Ugh. I did like his acting in it as, like, Thomas Jane started, you know, the Punisher started to break him, made him suspicious of his wife, suspicious of his friend, and he, 
I did like that. Um. Hmm. Okay. I mean, I'll, I'll give you, it's not a bad film. And, and obviously it was before comic book films became what they are right now. Yeah. Um, I, I do like the new Punisher stuff that they've been doing um, over way over this. Um, I don't know. Yeah. But then, okay. Well, cool. I'll give you that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not a bad film. It's just, no. but as you mean, that was like the first movie he had been in in years that I even cared about. Uh, maybe it's, I'm not so much talking, I guess, about John Travolta himself so much as it's like, wow, I didn't, you know, I'd gotten to the point where if I even heard he was in it, a movie, I was not interested. And then <laughs> that came along. You're like, whatever. See, and again, like, I think the last movie that I saw of his that I, that I really enjoyed, because, and I don't, maybe I got the years wrong. I but Get Shorty to me was always one of my favorite movies. Get Shorty uh, was 95, and I didn't see that for years and years. I actually saw Be Cool before I saw Get Shorty. Um, okay, yeah, that's too bad because Get Shorty was way better. So uh, let's see. I like I like to be cool personally. So that's interesting. So the Punisher came out before Get Shorty. So there you go, right there. This, I think they no. Be cool came out two thousand five. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Get Shorty came out. Maybe I was wrong. Ninety five. Get Shorty came out in ninety five, and then. Uh, Punisher was 2003, I believe. Yeah, yeah, so never mind. That was way bad. Okay, and then Pulp Fiction. See, that was 94. it. It was Pulp Fiction that, that kind of, like... Because, again, like, being the Quentin Tarantino fan, I still I still think Pulp Fiction is it's good, but it's not, like, great. It's not... And and it just kind of, like, I was like, great, here's John Travolta playing a, a mobster. Who really I cares? I don't... I like Pulp Fiction. I have not had a desire to watch it in a long, long time. It's not a movie I'd like, man, I, I haven't watched Pulp Fiction in a long time. I need to watch it. It's there. I've seen it. Kind of like Reservoir Dogs to me, and I like Reservoir Dogs. I don't, you know, I'm not attacking Reservoir Dogs, but mm-hmm. if I never see it again, I don't think I'm missing anything. It's, you know, it's there. I've seen it. It's not something I need to rewatch. Uh, yeah. I know it's his movies. Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs are two movies. People kind of like the idea of, like, memorizing every line. Um, it's either like, uh, but yeah, whatever. Yeah, I mean that's. I I think that's. Yeah, it's all part of it. I think though that you know that's it's just another actor that that's done hundreds of movies. You have a few good ones, and then the rest are kind of like, okay, well, did he really need to do this? Like, has he done anything lately to really kind of say that this is great or not? So yeah. Um. Everyone has their peaks and valleys. And- <laughs> it's true. It's true. I mean, it's it, like no matter how much I love Johnny Depp, not every movie that he's ever touched has been gold. So, you know, I, I, to me, I think no movie is for, truer, truer than that. With when we're if we're going to talk about Depp, than Blow. Like that was a bad movie. I liked it when I saw it in theaters, and then yeah. over over time, I'm like, screw this movie. Yeah. Um, well, I think I told you why I didn't like that movie, right? You told me why because you'd read the book and yeah, like they they took some serious licenses with the movie that they made they made him out to be a hero, like he was a complete asshole, or and they made him to be a hero. Yeah, he was a very very unlikable person in real life, and they 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 
very made him very sympathetic in the movie. Yeah, it was like when when you read the book, you're like, dude, this guy deserved to go away for as long as he did. Like, you know. Uh, so, uh, kind of along similar along those lines, different train of thought, but just talking about when people decide, hey, we're going to take some licenses with the true story. You know the story about Dog Day Afternoon. Uh, that's, uh, that's the one where the, uh, cause it's Rob, it's not Robert De Niro, it's Al Pacino, Al Pacino. where he wants to, uh, he's a transvestite or he's a gay, he's a homosexual no. who wants to get a sex in, change. In Dog Day Afternoon, no, I don't think, that was a movie about like the bank robbery turned into a hostage situation. Yeah, but it's because they want, they want to get a sex change and so that's why they're robbing if, a bank. If, if that's why, I don't recall. Um, okay, I should clarify, I've never seen the movie, so. I oh, not, okay, okay. I have not seen Dog Day Afternoon, but. And I know, but I know it's called that because, like, it's also a very hot day, and the heat's causing even more, making the stressful situation even more stressful. Anyway, so the end of the movie, because Dog Day Afternoon is a true story, mm-hmm. um, he turns basically for a lighter sentence. He decides he basically turns state's evidence. Mm-hmm. The real person did not do that. He oh, almost, wow. he almost got killed in prison. Because of that movie. Because wow. after the movie came out, people thought he had done that for real. Like the inmates, basically. Like so, there became there. There was a target on his back in prison because the movie decided. Because the writers decided, hey, what if we we made the end of the story where he, for a lesser sentence, decides to turn state's evidence and testify against his, which did not happen in real life, but damn. The, movie convinced like his fellow inmates that he had done that so damn that movie almost killed him yeah the movie almost killed the real guy so it was a wow whoa <laughs> um i do have to wonder so yeah so it is it is two homosexuals that are that are doing it it's because one of them wants a sex change so that 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 is the reason behind the robbery at least in the film whether it's that the real reason or not who knows but um they do that shit all the time. There was another movie too where they they like had, yeah. I mean, whatever. Like we know Hollywood decides to take license all the time with, um, with this stuff. It, and I get why in some cases because maybe the real story isn't as fun, um, you know, to, to tell or kind you know, of a, so they, an, another big example is Titanic with the uh, the crewmen that like just trying to maintain order as the ship sinking with the lifeboats and like. He goes, like, basically he ends up pulling his pistol and shooting a person because, you know, a riot was about to break out to get on the lifeboard. Yeah. Lifeboat, and then he committed suicide. The real man that did not do that, um, they think that maybe because things were getting out of hand for, you know, we have broken eyewitness, you know, testimony from what actually oh. happened on the Titanic, but they think that maybe he pulled his gun and fired it into the air or whatever to get people to calm down. But he did not pull and shoot somebody and then commit suicide. But the movie said, hey, how about we put that in there? Yeah, make him more, like, sympathetic. His family, I think, actually sued. Because there's actually, like, a memorial to him in, I want to say he was Scottish? He was either Scottish or Irish. And there's actually, there's been a memorial to him in his hometown back in Europe, back in, I can't remember if it's Scotland or, or, or Ireland, um, so I think yeah, his, his surviving family actually sued, and they or I think actually maybe there wasn't a memorial to him, but they paid some paltry amount to make a memorial to him there. That's, That's so fucked up. Yeah. So you see I it again, like 
you got to be like I feel like Hollywood still has to be careful when embellishing or rewriting history. Yeah, you know, like you can't. I don't know. It just feels like if you, telling a story, you have to you have to at least be kind. <laughs> you know, that's just fucked up that they that they that they could that they would make that change and cause that type of like life for his family. And there's there's always uh, there's times and places where, and I understand like when you think of it in a slightly different scenario when they're adapting a book and yeah. it's very 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 hard to put every single detail into that's in a book into a movie they've got to yeah. they've got to abridge some stuff mm-hmm. and if you've read the book and you like it sometimes that can be irritating sometimes it can you know turn you off and if they do a very bad job of it or do things that you think like in your opinion cut out important details mm-hmm. that can really make you mad but uh, you can kind of understand it but man when you are doing it with real history mm-hmm. uh, well, yeah that's that's problematic right there that's mm-hmm. again be- because we as the viewing public like I've gone into this movie now because I do remember the part that you're thinking so I've gone into this movie now thinking that this guy Either there's an account like this guy's a totally made up dude that they just put in the movie, or that there's a real account of of an officer shooting somebody and then killing himself for that for that whole thing, right? And you're just thinking how it, it would be the same as if if they the Passion of the Christ, it was Peter nailing Jesus's hands to the cross because they wanted to show like Peter having his moment of sympathy or, or not sympathy, but his, his moment of, um, you know, like crazy, you know, this is me denying Christ. I'm going to nail him to the cross, you know, that kind of thing. So, so it would, it would be almost akin to that. And then you can imagine like us as Christians, like if we weren't Christians, we'd see that we'd be like, Peter nailed him to the cross. Wow. That's fucked up that he did that. Right. Like it's, 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 it's almost to that degree. I, I know I've made this point before, like with Inglorious Bastards, and this is not a this is not a criticism of that movie. And I know what that movie was and what it was what he was doing with that movie. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that movie. I'm just saying people are such idiots now that I guarantee you somebody somewhere out there thinks that's how Hitler died. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they also probably think that there was a group of like yeah, they might Americans that, who carved yeah. swastikas and Nazis' foreheads and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So you know. it's just that's that's kind of an extreme example because I, I don't hold I don't put any blame on Quentin Tarantino for that because he was making a fun movie. Yeah, he was he was just making up a story and telling it. It had no basis on anything. Yeah. Other, well, yes, it was based in World War Two and the Nazis and all that, but. He was just, it was like, you know, making a movie about zombie Nazis. It's the same idea. He was just making yeah. But with something like Titanic, where it's presumably supposed to be real history. Mm-hmm. Uh, and- yeah, I mean, the only two made-up characters on that on that movie were probably Rose. Well, that's not true, because... Uh, like her whole... The, the circle of Rose. Her and mom and fiancé, and then Jack. Uh, yeah. But I think everyone else in that movie's yes was a real taken person. from real yeah yeah. Uh, anyway, so yeah, we're we're miles off from Nick Cage, and it's about time to wrap this up. Anyway, <laughs> uh, 
like like normal hence hence the name quixotic um yeah normal normal stuff well john's right it is it is kind of late it's probably later for him than it is for me um but uh but yeah we gotta we gotta how, cut off that, that is how time zones work exactly exactly um well it's it's been fun man i it's 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 um i look forward to doing this again so and yeah i i hope that our audience agrees um if not you're just gonna yeah if we i hope we still have it i mean <laughs> i mean at this point even if they don't agree with with us coming back like we're still going to be back so they're just gonna have to deal with it and maybe listen to us so <laughs> yeah. all right well it's we, been fun guys we have more viewers than cnn plus so. <laughs> <laughs> CNN Plus. Ooh. Ouch. Um, all right. Sick dated burn. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. I'm Steve. And I'm John. And this has been Quixotic. Thanks, guys. <laughs>